The 2020 Network is brought to you by Interac. Speed is key for Canadian shoppers. Is your business keeping up? It can with Interact Flash. It's the platform that millions of Canadians use to check out quickly and securely. Learn more at interact.ca. Hi, everybody. It's Friday, January 18th. It's awfully cold and snowy in the nation's capital. I've got Shannon Proudfoot of McLean's and Tim Powers of Summa Strategies with me in the studio. Hi to you both. Hello. Hi. Speaking of cold, Shannon, I you sent out a really, we were just talking about it, a really hilarious tweet this week about adults in snow pants. Yeah. And it went viral, and there's been a flurry of noise around it afterwards. So tell us sort of the gist of the, yeah. the, the tweet. So my actual underlying point was that I love Ottawa, and I think it gets short shrift because people act like we're this dorky backwater. And my point was that we're not. We're a sophisticated city with a lot to offer. But I said all of that falls apart when you see adults commuting to work wearing their snow pants. <laughs> Which I think is amazing. Um, yeah, and I had it was interesting because a few people said they were going to go on a bus safari after that they had never seen this phenomenon and they wanted to go looking for it. And I see it often. Oh, like yeah, a couple same. times a day. It's not infrequent. I've seen people wearing ski goggles. <laughs> yeah. Which like totally. I know we have serious winter here, but like we're not on the tundra. No, like. no, no. And that's actually that's never necessary. But the snow pants thing I think is great because it's like the perfect depiction of, of Ottawa's corny side. Yeah, it's like, f- you know, fashion or function over fashion, I guess. Yeah. And just like you haters can just... Oh, I don't know. yeah. I see it on the bus pretty much every day. I don't want to break it to you, too, because this would suggest ages. And I'm a little <laughs> bit older than you, but I want you to know for decades, Ottawa has been known as the town that fashion forgot. For yeah. uh, people don't ride in on their bombardier snowmobiles with their snow pants <laughs> in. They forget the snow the, the snowmobiles, but they come in with the pants. There's no hope. There's no hope. There's no Shannon hope. may have poked a nerve, but yeah. it's not going to change any behavior. I know, and because and it's the same, like, I think it was... Um, Laura Payton uh, said oh, yeah. after she's like, it's the same thing with like skirts, uh, women, adult women wearing skirts and uh, like full blown like, like marathon running shoes. Like, I mean, there is a certain practicality to it. Anyway, it was hilarious, and now sure. there's it's on the radio. Oh, the it was best. On the radio. Yeah, it's become this thing. That my favorite response was someone who told me he went to a job interview once in Ottawa, and at the end, the two people who had interviewed him walked him to the door, you know, like you do, and then they stood there awkwardly while he struggled back into his snow pants. <laughs> And he still got the job, which is, but like, picture that, picture the level of dignity that is involved in that. But it takes time to do up the duck boots that come with the snow pants. You know, duck boots are making a comeback, too. Yes. Yes. Oh, man. Okay. Um... All right, let's get into it. So, uh, first up, a few days ago, Canada opened its arms uh, to a Saudi teen who's who's been who was desperately trying to flee her allegedly abusive family. Eighteen-year-old Rahaf Mohammed arrived at Toronto's uh, Pearson International Airport on Saturday after repeatedly sending out calls for help on Twitter in early January, um, revealing threats among other things that she was going to be hunted down and killed. So. This 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 account and the tweets that went with it were, went viral, and she was then greeted shortly after by Foreign Affairs Minister um, Christia Freeland. So part of this is a really nice feel good story, good news story, which is refreshing. But part of this is also a huge political score. I don't know about you guys, but I felt when I watched the arrival and the press conference kind of that ensued, I I felt uncomfortable. It felt very. Um, 
uh, like it was kind of, you know, she had, even the way her hand was placed around uh, Muhammad, like it was a very, this coddling, you know, speaking for her. I mean, I know that there's language Mm -hmm. barriers, but, Mm -hmm. um, you know, kind of like a, we brought her here, she's ours. It felt proprietary. Yes, yes. Which also, I mean, to be fair, that same gesture could just be seen as protective. We've now had a statement since then the young woman says she's not going to do any more interviews. It seems like understandably she was a bit overwhelmed by all the attention. So perhaps it was just a soothing gesture, but I know what you're saying. It, it, the whole thing was, it was a little too beautiful, like in a way that made you a little uncomfortable. And I mean, even her, like her sweater, Mm -hmm. the Canada sweater, it was, and and like wearing a skirt, there was just, because, you know, the, the, the whole thing that went into it. And I know that that, that part probably wasn't orchestrated, but it felt, um, a little bit off to me. And I think, uh, uh, apparently it was her decision to come out and talk to reporters, even though she didn't really talk. Um, but I think afterwards Freeland said, you know, I did it because uh, she's like my daughter's age and I wanted her to feel welcomed. But there is a component of political staging. And I mean, from the Saudi Arabia side, I mean, just to see the foreign affairs minister welcoming this, that would be a real... Whoa. It could have been a scene from the Golden Globes a couple of weeks ago, <laughs> never mind political staging. I mean, Christian Freeland has um, established her reputation, uh, or reestablished her reputation over the last number of months, rightly so, as a very serious, yeah. capable player. Won lots of respect, I think, for the work she's done with the Americans uh, and, and with the Saudis. She previously had been criticized for doing a little bit too much of this, trying to be a little bit more theatrical, but not necessarily possessing her boss's skill set in that yeah. regard. I mean, it, it, I, it, it was over the top. Yeah. The government does pride itself on branding. There's a good political message there that they stepped on themselves. They didn't need to do that. And yeah. you do have to wonder, as it relates to uh, Ms. Muhammad, have they... Um, increase the danger that is directed right. towards her. Uh, she has said, and I gather she's receiving security protection right now because of the degree of threats that have come her way yeah. for the courageous things that she has done and leaving her family and speaking out about that. Well, when you put the Foreign Affairs Minister of Canada yeah. there, you're enhancing the exposure. So that's yeah. telling your story, but it's also increasing your risk. I'm not sure she wants to come to Canada being the spokesperson for change while she's trying to properly assimilate into a new society. Right. I mean, what I think is interesting, it's such a public scenario. I think it's interesting. A lot of people are asking, like, and I was asking, like, how does this process happen? It feels very, um, I don't, I'm not sure I've seen many cases like this of like, a, you know, and it happens so quickly. And I don't think they've said much, right? Like they haven't no. clarified the process. They, they've said that the UN Human Rights Commission asked them to do this. But they've not clarified sort of the, I don't want to use like a phrase like cue jumping because that becomes so loaded, but right. they haven't clarified the process of fast mm-hmm. tracking. They, I think they've just alluded to someone being in imminent danger yeah. and that this is sort of a standard yes. protocol That's thing, right. um, which absolutely, but I, I get a little concerned too about stuff like when we get into situations where because people are able to make themselves visible, there's a different process yes. that kicks in because yes. all of us, very rightly so as human beings, we react to this. And mm-hmm. I'm not saying for a moment that this young woman didn't need help and shouldn't have gotten it right. rapidly, but it just gets a bit concerning to me when yeah. it becomes like a very like public viral campaign that yeah. then has real world results because you wonder about all the other people in similar That's situations exactly. who don't have the ability to make a tweet go viral. Go, vi- go viral. And you you think of all the hundreds of thousands of people who are probably 
um, seeking the same kind of refuge. I think, um, you know, apparently we fill our quota of emergency cases each year, which is something like 100, but they're not this kind of, and it, I'm, I hate to say it, but it feels a little bit in line with the current government sort of celebrity, not... Uh, Celebrification? Yeah, Celebrification? You can say it, Sarah. It's yeah. not a bad thing to say <laughs> from time to time, but just building off what Shannon said, so what does start to happen if, you know, smart, able, other 17, 16, 17, 18-year-old teenagers, women in Saudi Arabia start doing this and start tweeting? Is the government going to react? Right. You create this pre- bizarre sort of... Yeah. Pre- what sort of precedent are you creating? Yeah. Uh, I mean, again... I will commend the government on their their commitment to all manner of fair and proper immigration and yeah. making and, and dealing with issues of oppression and abuse and, and, and the like. But when you stage manage it to such a degree, you you, you create problems for yourself. Right. And I, I think they did here. I think that could have been a well-managed event where the minister later met yes. with the girl. She didn't have to go to the airport. She didn't oh, have to do all of that. Yeah. Uh, and they overreached. Yeah, they it's overreached. like, you know, you can make a, a small connection to the India trip. They sometimes right. are so certain in their stage management yes. that they think they can go further with it than and they can, and then they find they're getting this, the criticism yeah. that they perhaps didn't want. Yeah, the theatrical, uh, as you say, it could have been a performance in the Golden Globes, yeah. Um, interesting, interesting uh, for sure. So, okay, so let's 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 move it on here. We've uh, fallout of the, the liberal, was, we're staying on track, liberal cabinet shuffle. Uh, it was kind of a mini cabinet shuffle as a result of the, the de- departure of longtime um uh, Nova Scotia MP Scott Bryson. So Indigenous Services Minister um, Jane Philpott takes his position as Treasury Board President. Seamus O'Regan goes in to fill the shoes of Indigenous. Um, Jody Wilson-Raybould, what everyone is talking about, uh, goes from justice to Veterans, to veterans Affairs. affairs. Yes. And this is seen as a big-time demotion. Why is it seen? Like, explain that, because I'm not sure everyone knows that. I don't personally think the idea that that is a demotion is predicated on the notion that veterans are somehow a less worthy constituency to serve. I really don't. And I think that becomes a straw man argument that everyone goes to. We saw it too with Miriam Monsef, right? When people talked about that being a demotion and people sort of screaming, how dare you say that women are some second class constituency to serve? That's not what it's about. It's about the traditional hierarchy that is seen, the most desirable and most prominent cabinet spots. Yeah. Um, justice is one of them. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's just no denying that it hasn't. And, and I felt like in both Jody Wilson-Raybould and the prime minister had the exact, almost identical talking points right. that morning at Rideau Hall, where they said like this in no way is serving our veterans a secondary job, but that's not really the question people were asking. People were asking, in your internal personnel decisions, Mm. this seems to be sending a clear message why and what is that message? Mm. And I think maybe an elaborate... And she knows knows it. I mean, look at her, yeah, look at her her statement. I mean, again, she said it in no... I think her phrase was, in no world would I view serving Canadian veterans as a demotion, but in terms of operations and hierarchy, it's a different department. That's just a reality. The Justice Department... Inter- interacts with every federal department. Every piece of legislation yeah, goes to the Justice right. Department. That's a good point, every yeah. government un- activity gets a legal opinion from the Justice Department. It's a central department. Yeah. Uh, veterans Affairs, uh, veterans themselves, 
would tell you, not properly funded, uh, headquartered in Charlottetown, love PEI, love Atlantic Canada, but not a central agency. Veterans would be the first to tell you that. And I think, I mean, the other story for me around this, one that hasn't come to the fore, is there's some sexism in this because the, the, the quiet... Um, story that's been pushed out, as as you all know, is uh, she didn't play well with others. That's what, yeah. Uh, she didn't get but, along with her cabinet imagine, colleagues. Would that be said of a of a you know? Oh, she like Don Martin wrote a, a column. Yeah. Um, you know, she had a dark look on her face. Yeah, her body right. language was was gruff and. What? Like, first of all, she's always kind of looked like that, and and I think it's mostly just because she's a serious kind of person and and um, whatever. But but ima- I imagine if uh, that would have been a man. Well, it's like I don't know, bossy or bitchy, and a woman is right. sort of in a man. I also I have to say I, I sort of found the her little press conference after the shuffle really quite mesmerizing on Monday because if we're correct in reading what happened, mm-hmm. if we're not way off. Um, I don't think it's very often in politics that we see genuine human emotion. And yeah. I found it really mm-hmm. quite mesmerizing and, mm-hmm. and sort of touching and sympathetic to watch someone who yeah. was having a really, really awful day at work yeah. in public. Um, an impressive, intelligent woman who, you know, maybe has not been the most forthright communicator. She's, she's known to be pretty press shy. Um, having to be up there sort of composing herself yeah. when, when everyone was overtly asking, like, they oh, were using the word yeah. emotion. I, I found it... Um, I don't know, noteworthy or, or human or real in a well, way that I haven't seen a lot of stuff be. To go through a demotion on a public stage like that is tough. It's horrific. That's just that's just really tough. But I do. I think you're. I think that's true. I think there's an element of of, of sexism in the way that it's being reported. Yeah, perhaps it seems to be that way, and and they may all be right. I mean, it it doesn't help if you have a justice minister who goes beyond, whether it's a she or a he, goes beyond their role and challenges everything. That the role of the justice minister is yes to challenge things, Uh, but if there was constant friction and conflict, there is still a recognition, though. um, If she was not indigenous and a star candidate, she may have been moved right out of cabinet as well. So there's sort of this. Double standard almost at play. We recognize her value. We inflated her value. We're putting her over here for now. A bit like Melanie Jolie moving her from uh, heritage to tourism. So she has an opportunity now, though, to um, show her critics that in a very tough department, she can perform well. And I suspect if she is the person many people describe her as as determined and able, she will get past her current frustration and totally. try and embrace that department and see what kind of mark she can leave on it. I mean, as, as she had said in, in her speech, she's she's knocked off a lot of things on her list in that mandate letter, um, if not everything. And she, hey, if she can do the next time around too. Um, so this is the team that leads them into the election. Probably, probably anything is possible, but yes. (laughs) There could be another mini shuffle. Um, Has this hurt the the liberals' um, image in any way, or uh, do people, again, really care? (laughs) Does the average Canadian really care about... uh, uh, some some job changes. January 14th, 2019 will not go down as a day of <laughs> infamy in the history of the Liberal Party or a day, you know, you know yeah. it, sure. nobody's going to remember this. One of the noteworthy no. events of 2019? No. 
I mean, th- these things happen in the course of a government. I mean, the really interesting thing that I see there, that I, I don't think has gotten enough coverage, is um, Lametti going into justice. That's a clear sign of a big play the liberals are making in Quebec, seizing the opportunity right. they believe exists with a uh, a weakened NDP. Lametti's in Mr. Martin's old, Paul Martin's old riding. Right. He comes from McGill. Um, Pierre, uh, Justin's father, Pierre, was the justice minister. Justice is a portfolio that means something in Quebec. Uh, So there's a lot happening there. And Lametti, by all reports, was a competent parliamentary secretary, has a really impressive pedigree, certainly able to do that job. I think he could be a star in the future, depending how he performs now. So uh, part two of this, and I mean somewhat related, it's all related, lots of attention being paid to the for some reason or another, uh, the upcoming by-election in Burnaby South. Um, So why do we care? Well, the liberal candidate in the race made a rather large misstep, which was Mm -hmm. unearthed earlier this week. Karen Wang made a, I'll say, racially charged um, sentiment on social media in in reference to her NDP uh, competitor, leader of the party, Jagmeet Singh. She points out, so she sort of singled out that she was the only, or reminded voters, she's the only Chinese candidate, and Mr. Singh is of an Indian descent, which is why, you know, they should mark her name on the ballot box. So she claims this is misunderstood. And apparently, I didn't see it, but apparently that was what she said on Power and Politics. I kind of can't get enough of this story in a way that I understand is like totally trial. I know, it's bad. (laughs) Um, So my favorite thing first was in her first set of statements. I don't know if it was the one she tried to do outside the Burnaby Library and then was told by a very polite librarian that she could not have a press conference at the library. Like everything about this was like a clown car set on fire. Like just everything about it got worse. She's running around. But my my favorite thing in her statement was she said – First of all, she claimed that in highlighting Singh's ethnicity, she was merely trying to say how wonderful it is that we draw such diverse candidates to the race, which is – a hilarious thing to say because plainly what she was not trying to do was portray a Benetton out of politics. Yes. Like clearly. This is a beautiful thing. No. Yeah. But then one of the things she said, one of the direct quotes was, I was just trying to win the race. And one of my favorite things is when someone accidentally says something that's completely accurate in a way that they don't understand. Like, yeah, we, we know you yeah. were just trying to win the race. Yeah, yeah. We get that. The problem is like the path you chose through those woods. Yeah. And so then last night, I believe she was on power and politics. Sure, sure. And I saw this because I saw Olivia Chow. I think she tweeted I think she said she was infuriated by the appearance because Wang explicitly said um, that this was uh, a language and Chinese cultural right. thing, that this you was a commonality. And she used the word misunderstood or misinterpreted repeatedly that she said in China and in Chinese culture, we are accustomed to, we identify everyone by their ethnicity or their cultural group when we introduce candidates. And all of this has been blown out of proportion. She basically pinned it on like a Chinese versus not Chinese understanding of things, which understandably a lot of people are pretty and the ticked about. Chi- Chinese community, like that's such an offensive thing yeah. to say and group that culture uh, together uh, as that way. Like, oh, we just do this. And it was a miscommunication on WeChat or whatever. Like it's so, it's, it is a burning house. Oh my God. My uh, co- a colleague on Power and Politics, Rob Silver, joked it was a bit like watching Chemical Ali when Baghdad was... Uh, <laughs> 
falling and no no there was nothing wrong it was all good it's all fine uh, yeah, yeah. I, I look, for the for the liberals I think a lot of people have said this and I would echo it it's sort of a win-win um, there is the embarrassment of a candidate but that passes every party's going to have people like this during a campaign yeah. who are going to be embarrassing they're going to have to be it? turfed uh, but the you know the, the government can said look we dealt with it effectively and they do want look they do want Jagmeet Singh in the house because so far Mr. Singh has uh, appeared to be very inept and oh, they okay. can continue right. to showcase that inept performance that inept those inept performing skills to their advantage as they try to uh, get NDP voters to stay with them in the next election. So they will say it's a it's a win-win. They won't say it, but it is a win-win in their right. But then some people are advancing the idea that this was like the Liberals playing ninth Conspiracy. dimensional chess. Oh, yeah. I think you guys were yucking it up about that last night. Theory. I don't I don't buy that for a moment. I mean, no. maybe they kind that of was your co little... colleague Iveson. He probably had a scotch when he wrote that. <laughs> He's not my colleague, but yes, old, it was old, him. Old yes. Old, old <laughs> yeah, but yeah. It, it yeah, that I find that kind of hilarious. I don't know what that says about like the general air in the place if we're if some people are willing I mean, to like sign on, on to that? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I think yeah, they responded to it the only way they uh, the only way that they they could. Um cuz I didn't really she had tried to run yes, under the conservative yeah. yeah, and the conservatives said no, she tried to run she provincially. Run for the provincial yeah, that's liberals. Right. Yeah. And then now she might run it. Yeah, and now the, my, the most ridiculous part of it is she's still swanning all around Burnaby in her liberal red coat with her liberal button on, just like refusing to Let accept the resignation. Just, like, it's, it's, I don't know. I don't know where it goes from here. I liked, I liked, this is, is your colleague, I like Stephen Mayer's uh, perspective uh, because he was sort of like the real story that, that maybe we're uh, missing or whatever is, is in referencing to the, the poll that came out that, put um, Bernier's party at 9%, which would, if replicated on the national stage, would literally make Shear's um, chance of winning next to him impossible. It's interesting. Tim, I can't remember if you and I have had this conversation. I don't think I've interviewed you in a while, but I've been doing a whole series of interviews about the Tories just because I've been doing a series Mm -hmm. of stories about them. And the interesting thing I've noticed is I couldn't do the numbers, but it seems like half the people I talk to say, if I were the Conservatives, I wouldn't give Bernier a second thought. He's a sideshow. Mathematically, he's not going to matter. And the other half are like, he is trouble. They have yeah. to pivot to the right. And I find that split of opinion among people who know their stuff kind of interesting. Yeah, I think it's where you ask that question, too. In certain regions, he will be trouble. Uh, if he vacuums up votes in Alberta, as people think, that's not going to matter. If he starts to pull votes in certain parts of Ontario, yeah. the real interesting by-election to watch as it relates to Bernier's rising numbers is less that riding in B.C. and more York-Simcoe. What oh, happens okay, in yeah. Peter Van Loan's old seat? Yeah, which is a conservative seat. So do you see any of that play out? I, I obviously think the conservative candidate's still going to win there, but does Bernier go higher uh, there as a consequence of, of appeal he may have? Yeah. Anywho, okay, that's a lot of Canadian politics for you. So we're going to go into another kind of random story. So razor company Gillette is getting um, a lot of heat for its its latest ad, a video urging men to be the best they can be. It shows young men growing up surrounded by bullying and toxic masculinity, anti-gay culture, sexism, and suggesting that they should and do better than that. 
all by using a certain type of razor. Um, it's responding to, you know, the, 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 the societal moment that we're in. Um, and it's getting really mixed reviews. Uh, some praising it, others ditching their razors using the hashtag, the hashtag uh, boycott yes. Gillette. See, I kind of want to take issue toilet. with the whole premise that there is a large backlash here. Mm-hmm. There not- is a, and I'm not, I'm not taking you to task for that because that story is everywhere. There is a handful of super angry people who are freaking out about, really, let's break it down. The message of that is, don't be a dick. (laughs) Teach your kids not to be dicks. Be nice to people. And that is, like, a massively controversial message. Like, first of all, there's a starting point. But also, like, that the backlash is from this tiny, angry corner of the internet of people with eight followers who are maybe bots or maybe not. Yeah. And I feel like we're doing this false equivalency thing. Yeah. Like, and I'm not, again, I'm not taking issue no, with what you're, you're right, saying, you're right. but like That's a good point. someone on Twitter did a really great breakdown of the BBC story and the sources they used, because the thing is you can pluck a tweet context-free and if the tweet is worded pithily enough or is enraged enough, it looks like blowback. But then you think, is that person just like screaming into a teacup? Uh, like One of the papers, yeah, was pulling out tweets, um, you know, in further story. And and again, people, nobodies that were just like, oh, this is a shitty thing, or, you know, not to generalize, but it was a bunch of like white men who were just like, oh, I'm done with, I'm done with joy. Well, apparently someone was like advancing, like they were like, we are staging a boycott. Here are our demands as though they had like a hostage in a bank vault. And one of their demands was that Gillette or the company involved or something be required to read some men's rights activist tract. Like, are you joking? Also, like what, what universe do you live in where you think anyone has to listen to you? Like, can I just point out that razors are really expensive? So putting your razor in a toilet. Particularly the Mach 3. Uh, yeah, that Gillette right? makes so it's great. I, 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 I actually shaved with one this morning. I was radical. <laughs> you are the best man. Oh, yeah. I, I know. I feel like Victor Kayam, who originally owned the company. He liked it so much he bought it. I'm not buying Gillette today, but uh, the company that is. Uh, though on the amplification of it, Piers Morgan did blow it up oh, yes. for different reasons. Oh, right. so well, let's, uh, Piers Morgan, you're Well, right. exactly. Human asterisk. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, fair enough. But you're right. You're right. A lot of this, I wonder. I Look, good on Gillette uh, for talking about something that should be talked yeah. about. Uh, pity on men who are getting upset about a critique that is not leveled at them individually, but a societal, like, grow up lads. Uh, but I think, you know, Gillette may have corporate motives here because they saw how they successful sure. Nike. Nike was yeah. with Colin Kaepernick. That's so true. Uh, and I think a lot of advertising today, when it has greater impact, is tied in yes. in a more forceful, um, determined way around yes. key societal issues of the day. I think Nike stock uh, shot up uh, after the and after some initial blowback. Um, it was talked about. And who who was talking about Gillette before this? The last time no. anybody talked about Gillette commercials were when Victor Kayam was doing them, <laughs> and they made it about him, which is very interesting. Now they're making it again about men, but in a very different and progressive way. It's yeah. smart. Yeah, no, you're right. You, look, it's it's achieved. They've achieved exactly what they wanted to do. Because look at this, we're all talking about it. Um, and I think you're right. I think nowadays consumers want their brands to stand for something. They want them to have a voice and whether it's good or bad or people can agree with it or not, it's, it's, they're taking a stand. 
And yeah, I might be kind of weird in this regard. I'm, I'm fascinated by advertising and I love Me writing too. about branding whenever I can, but I don't personally view it as nefarious. Like I know there are very, there are it's ways clever. you can unpack, unpack, you know, I understand they are trying to sell a razor, whether they believe in this wokeness or not. I kind of tend to view advertising as just part of our pop culture landscape. And the same yeah. way it would be interesting if an episode of like a nighttime prestige drama tackled something super topical or a sitcom or whatever. Like I just don't have a problem with, I, I think we're all eyes wide open that Gillette is trying to sell us something. It's not like yes. we feel, we should, if you feel duped by a consumer company <laughs> advertising you to you, then you have, have bigger some news challenges for you. You've got to do some Yeah, so, so to me, like I just, that just yeah. is irrelevant to me. If it's an interesting piece of, Art, if that's yeah. not too wanky a thing to say, if it's an interesting mm-hmm. little two minute film, I agree. I find it interesting in and of itself. And I, I am like a okay with like the sales motive. I may or may not buy your product, but that's a cool little piece yeah. of filmmaking. And Gillette won't be surprised by the blowback. No, I, I mean, they would have focus grouped this to death and they so would have seen yeah. the same reactions that are playing out now appear in their focus and groups. And that probably made them even more determined well, it's like to drive the out the effect, ad. Right? This yep. just uh, that now the stories about the blowback just amplifies yeah. the campaign yeah. further. Well, I guess that that concludes it for today. Thanks for it's been an eventful week. It's been an eventful week. Um, I, I can't wait to see what's happened in Burnaby South since we started oh, recording because for know. sure something has happened. Okay, uh, can I get your Twitter handles, please? I'm S Proudfoot at Powers Tim. Awesome. See you next time. Hey guys, it's me again. We've got some exciting news for you. We're expanding our podcasting team. We're looking for an eager junior producer to come on board and help grow the network. If you think you've got what it takes, send me your application at sarah at canada2020.ca by February 8th. The 2020 Network is brought to you by Interact. The other day, I received a phishing link, and it turns out I'm not the only one. According to Interact, almost a quarter of Canadians have clicked on a phishing link. If you, like me, are interested in learning more about how you can protect yourself against fraud, Visit interact.ca slash fraud prevention. 